I hope this finds you doing well. And we're going to kind of change up a little bit about what we're going to be doing concerning the podcast. Uh, we've been looking at some of the simple stories of uh, miracles and healings and things of that nature and diving deep into them. But uh, we're going to change up a little bit today. And part of that is because um, not saying that I have a very strong voice or anything like that, but it's one of those things that when I look around at where we're at right now in our culture and in our Southern Baptist Convention, I'm a little worried. Um, When I think about uh, where we're at, I can look biblically and find that we're off track. Uh, We're off track in a lot of areas. Um, I can start by just throwing some names out right now, such as Bill Hybels, Mark Driscoll, James McDonald, Ravi Zacharias, and even our current SBC president, Ed Litton. And what I would deem as a lot of our celebrity pastors right now. It is very disheartening to see what's going on and to see that these pastors, and I use that term loosely, these apologists, um, these different uh, men have considered themselves um, exempt from a lot of the problems and a lot of the sins and a lot of the things that's going on uh, because of their status. To know that a pastor takes the sacred responsibility of being able to spend time with the Holy Spirit to put together a sermon, that they would just copy down something from somebody else, preach somebody else's sermon outline, lie about it, um, that they would believe that they could use their position to sexually abuse other people, that they would actually deem what they're doing as godly, and that um, they would use their position to belittle other people, to use cursing language behind the pulpit as if it's okay. These are very troubling things. And when we look at the current state of the SBC, it bothers me because what I see is a lot of men who call themselves pastors that should be resigning, a lot of men who are not uh, above reproach. And if I'm not mistaken, that's the first quality that we find when it comes to fulfilling the role that Paul taught Timothy, is that you must be above reproach. And when you're having to delete sermons from your library because you didn't even preach those sermons, but you copied them from somebody else, you quoted other people, you used other people's sermon outlines because you were too sorry to sit down and study because you thought you were so important and so big that you could just uh, skate over the idea of being able to prepare sermons because you needed to take care of your health and you needed to take care of your family. All that does is let me realize that the pastor of the local church that may be only running 50 to 100 is of a lot more value than these mega church pastors that we seem to put up on pedestals. 
these men that are faithful, that spend time studying, that spend time going and visiting, they're not being lauded and they're not going to conferences and they're not being paid tons of money to be able to go speak and realize that we've been having these men come to these conferences and speak to us and they're liars and they're, they're uh, fakes. And so why in the world would I waste my money to go to another conference from men like this and then to get on Twitter and realize that you got other men that are defending them, realizing that, that these supposed godly men are defending other liars. And so what this has done, and this is why I haven't I didn't do a podcast last week because I spent some time thinking about this. And I believe that if there was ever a time that we need to ask ourselves this question, is there a biblical model? of someone that we need to look at when it comes to preaching the gospel, to being a pastor, to understand what the true call is on a man of God to be able to declare the word of God, I think it's now. And if there was one person that I believe we need to take a look at right now, it is John the Baptist. I think when we look at scripture, we can find someone in John the Baptist that needs to be modeled in standing behind pulpits right now. And so in this podcast and over the next couple of weeks, that's what I want to look at. I want to be able to contrast John the Baptist with these celebrity people that we have that are fakes. And I want to be able to show what it actually looks like. What is a pastor supposed to look like? What is a man that declares the gospel supposed to look like? Rather than being cute behind the pulpit and making sure that you get laughs and putting that, that joke in there somewhere so that way you can make people feel comfortable, I think we need to be looking at what did John the Baptist do, how did he declare the gospel, and even more importantly, what did Jesus say about John the Baptist? And that's where I'd like to start today in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 11. Look what Jesus says about John the Baptist. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Now we sit down and we think about who has come before John the Baptist. We've got Noah. We've got Moses. We've got Elijah. We've got David. Solomon. We've got all of these people that the Old Testament speaks of. Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the prophets. We've got all of these people that Scripture teaches of. And Jesus himself says there has, among men born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. And I think that should speak volumes to us. And for us to be able to take note of that and look at it and say, okay, Why would Jesus even begin to make that comment? Why would Jesus... Because here's the thing we've got to look at. Jesus didn't have to say that. It's not like we read a prophecy back in the book of Isaiah that says Jesus must declare that John the Baptist was the greatest born of woman. No, Jesus volunteered this information. And I think that we we can clearly say that Jesus never once said anything because um, he was forced to say it by other people. 
Jesus said it because it was truth. Again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what Jesus says is truth. So now we've got to take this and say, okay, why did Jesus say this? What were the qualifications for Jesus to to say that John the Baptist was the greatest man born of woman? And what are we to learn from that? And so I think what we can take from that is now we've got to go and, if you want to say it this way, investigate the life of John the Baptist. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to flip over to the book of John and I want to start there. Now, you may say, well, why don't you start with the birth? Well, we're going to get to that. We're going to, we're going to get to those kind of things. But I want to look at John chapter 1. And I want to show you why I believe that Jesus is able to declare this and why Jesus does declare this. In John chapter 1, starting in verse 6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. So we understand from this standpoint that there was a purpose that uh, John had. John had a call on his life. Just like if you are a man of God who is a pastor and preaching the gospel, there should be a call on your life. Now, that takes me to another point. You don't go to seminary in order to be a pastor. There should be a call on your life before you go to seminary. The reason I say that's important is because you can go to seminary and you can be trained to be able to, and I'll use this term loosely, be a pastor, and you will fail miserably. And the reason why I say that is because if you don't have a call of God on your life, your training will fail you. It's just that simple. I've went to seminary, I've got a master's degree, and I can tell you this, not one single thing that I learned in seminary, not one single thing I learned in uh, getting my master's degree ever prepared me for being a pastor. It didn't. You know why? Because being a pastor is dealing with humans. It's dealing with scenarios. It's dealing with life. It's dealing with all of the things and the ugliness of sin. And so what you have to do is you have to have a call of God on your life because I will tell you, there are certain days that you want to quit. There are certain days that dealing with all of the junk that you've got to deal with, you wonder, is it worth it? And the only thing that keeps you going is the call of God on your life. It's not your training from school. And so the reason why we're having so many pastors today, and again, I continue to use that term loosely, The reason why we have so many pastors today doing what they're doing is because many of them never had the call of God on their life. What they done is they started looking at it and saying, man, I can make a big bunch of money by just leading some other people with some ideas. And so what's happening is they're able to go to school. They're able to learn how to do certain things. They're able to learn a little bit about the Bible. And then they take the Bible and they use it and they manipulate it, no different than Pharisees, to uh, draw themselves a crowd. And in drawing a crowd, they get a bunch of people who they make reliant upon them. And then making them reliant upon them, they now have them eating out the palm of their hands and they can do whatever they want. And so what you find with all of this then is... A group of people who are willing to follow this man 
and overlook a lot of his problems and a lot of his issues because they have, in essence, sold their soul to the man and to the model in which he is going to be teaching. What happens is then you begin to, you miss the things, the, 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 the little landmines that you should be aware of. You begin to miss them. You begin to not pay attention to them. You begin to um, look at them and, in essence, overlook them because they're a man of God. I remember one of the comments that Mark Driscoll had made um, was every time that someone would come against him and tell him that his attitude and his berating of people and congregations was bad, he would look at him and say, well, apparently it's working because look at the fruit. And so what these men will do is they will say, look at how big our church is. Look how many people we've got. Look how many people we've reached. You can't deny my methods. Well, the problem is it's not about methods. It's about the message. And what happens is when you begin to get so focused on the methods, you begin to erase the message for what it really is. And that's when it gets very scary. Because then you begin to move away from this idea, as John here was a man sent from God. You're not a man sent from God. You're a man that has developed your own mission. And in developing your own mission, you're going to lead the way you want to lead. And you don't care about whether it really aligns biblically or not anymore. That's why you can be someone like Ravi Zachariah and you can sit down and sexually abuse women and tell them that you're doing it in Jesus' name in essence, which is sickening. But yet what we do is we put someone like Ravi up on a pedestal because he's this apologist and he thinks that he's smarter than everybody else and because he uses bigger language than us and we just kind of overlook all of this stuff. We hear the rumors. We hear the rumblings of some of these things that's going on and we just look at it and say, there's no way he would do it. Can I tell you something? Apart from the grace of God, there go I. There is not a sin that I would not be able to commit apart from the grace of God. And when we get to the point to where we think that I will never be the guy who does that, be prepared because a fall is coming. We've got to make sure that we understand that we are not above sin. Sin will find us out. It will come. It will Temptation will be seeking us on a regular basis if you are a man that is preaching the Word of God. And you have to be careful and you have to make sure that you are aligning yourself with the call of God on your life. And so what else does it say in verse in, in the book of John here? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. So we see that he, he was called by God. Notice here in verse 7, This man came for a witness to bear witness to the light that all through him might believe. Guess what John was willing to be and he was willing to do? He was willing to be a conduit for the Holy Spirit. He wanted God to use him to be a witness for Jesus. And notice what he says, that all through him might believe. It wasn't because of John, it was because of the message that John was preaching. And see, that's the big difference. It's not about you. It's not about the person. It's not, and, and, and think about this. What do we try to do with conferences? When it comes to conferences that the SBC does, 
or state conventions do? Why in the world do we feel like in order for people to come, we've got to go out and get the biggest names? You know, this is one of the things, and I'm not going to state where this is from, but there was a, a state convention that I was a part of. And one of the things that irritated me more than anything else was the executive director of our state convention would make this comment all the time. We love and appreciate our local church pastors. There are none better than you. There are none greater than you. And we are so thankful for you. We're thankful for your faithfulness. We're thankful for you being uh, willing to preach the word of God uh, day in and day out. And all that he done was brag on the local church pastor. But then when it would come to the state convention or it would come to a local assembly that they would do, a local conference or whatever it may be, isn't it odd that they would never ask one of the local pastors to take care of the local conference that was going on or get one of them to preach? We always had to bring in a bigger name. And oh, by the way, that bigger name had no idea what was going on in that community. And so that bigger name, just because he was a bigger name, we paid them a bunch of money to be able to come in rather than saving that money and use it for missions or to put it back into the local community to be able to do ministry. We would pay this guy a big bunch of money. We'd laud him around as if he was the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then what we would do is we would let him tell us what he did at his church that is in no way, shape, form, or fashion going to work where we're at. And we wonder, why in the world does the local church pastor feel discouraged? We would do the same thing at that, at that same state convention. We would get up and the executive director and all of the big wigs, if you will, would get up at the, the, uh, the annual meeting that would take place. <clears throat> and what they would do is talk about how that this state wouldn't be, the convention wouldn't be what it is apart from the local church pastor. But yet, they would never get one of the local church pastors to do any of the preaching. They would usually have about six or seven, maybe eight guys that would preach. They would only get the ones who had a congregation of around 800 or more within our state to do the preaching. They were the only ones who would ever be the president of the convention and they would always make sure that they would go out and they would get the biggest possible names to come in and do the preaching <clears throat> but yet we love our local pastor and you say what where is that going what i'm saying is this in our denomination right now we have to be considered some of the largest hypocrites on the face of the earth. And I say that because we wonder why unsaved people don't want anything to do with Jesus. It's because of what we're doing that is public to other people right now. It's the fact that we are creating celebrity pastors. It is because we only laud those pastors who have super large congregations and mega churches. I think I mentioned this before about how that there was a pastor who 
I was sitting and listening to, and he bragged about how every one of the chandeliers in his sanctuary cost $15,000. And I was sitting there saying, I just took a team to Honduras to minister to unsaved people, and it cost us $1,000 per person. I could take 15 people to Honduras right now to share the gospel for one of your stupid chandeliers. But yet that's what we do is we get to this point to where we want to uh, brag about all the stuff that we have rather than bragging on Jesus. Look what it says here about John. He came for a witness to bear witness to the light. John didn't care about himself. How do we know that? Because John wore camel skin and ate bugs. I want you to think about that. John wore camel skin and ate bugs. He didn't care about building himself a congregation. How do we know that? Because scripture says that John says he must increase and I must decrease. What we have in the, the modern Southern Baptist Convention is that the pastor must increase and Jesus must decrease. That's really what we've got. And I think it's a scary situation right now that we have because we're praying that God would bring revival to our nation right now. And we have pastors that are frauds that are leading our congregations, that are leading our Southern Baptist Convention. And we wonder why God won't bring revival. It's because we don't know what the word repentance means anymore in the Southern Baptist Convention. We don't know what the word sin means anymore in the Southern Baptist Convention. What we've done is we've taken the things that the Bible says is sin, the word that we're supposed to preach, and we've laxed on it in order to be able to put butts in the pews is in essence what it boils down to. We want to make sure, and see that's how we deem success now. We deem success by making sure how many people we have. And I'll tell you how I know that. I've been a church planner, and I've been a pastor of an established church. Here's something that I have every single time that I run into most pastors. When you run into pastors at conferences or you run into pastors at your, your state convention meetings, here's what you have. Hey, brother, how you doing? I'm doing great. How many are you running right now? It's not, how's things going in your life? How's your marriage going? How's your children going? How are you doing spiritually? None of that. It's how many are you running? Because we deem success based on the amount of people that we have coming. Well, if that's the case, then Jesus was an utter failure when it comes to ministry. Because he only had 11 that truly followed him and one of them betrayed him. The majority of the time that Jesus done ministry, people went away from him. As a matter of fact, when Jesus healed a demon-possessed man and he cast the demon out and it went into the swine, the people didn't look at it and say, oh, praise God that you healed this man. It was, get out of our country. We don't want you here anymore. Jesus would be completely unsuccessful. He had no mega church. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't even have a church. So how in the world was, would we deem Jesus successful? Oh, by the way, John the Baptist wanted his people that were following him to leave him and go follow Jesus. When these men would come to John, he's like, hey, you need to go follow Jesus, not me. John was pushing his people out the door. So how in the world would these men be deemed successful? Because they recognized it wasn't about them. It was about the kingdom of God. It was bigger than them. See, the problem with most megachurch pastors and the ones that I mentioned a little bit earlier, they're building their own kingdoms. See, right now, the, the, the situation we have in the Southern Baptist Convention when it becomes president, it's nothing but political, and all it is is to add a little something to your resume to make you look like you're something big. 
See, we don't need those kind of people right now. We don't need the people who, right now it's a popularity contest. Oh, you haven't been elected SBC president? So let's put you in so that way you can tack that onto your resume. That's not what we need. We need men of God that are willing to lead. Not men of God who, after we elect them, we sit down and realize that over the last few years, they've been lying behind the pulpit because they haven't been taking the time to study. As a matter of fact, I just listened to an interview from Ed Litton, and he said he used to lie about how he would spend 24 to 26, 28 hours a week in studying for his sermons. And he said, you know what? I lied about that to make it look like I was studying more. I only spent about eight hours a week studying for my sermons. And that's the man we have leading the Southern Baptist Convention right now. A man who will openly tell you in an interview that he lied about his study time so he could look better than he was. And oh, by the way, he had to delete 140 sermons because those sermons weren't even his. He didn't spend the time to study. He downloaded them from somebody else or got them from somebody else. And then when he would use them, he wouldn't even give credit to who he talked about. Now you tell me how in the world God's going to bring revival to us when that is the situation that we have going on. That is not a man who came for a witness to bear witness of Jesus. That's a man who's building his own kingdom because all he cares about is his notoriety. He's not making much of Jesus. He's making much of himself, just like these other men that we mentioned has, that have failed. And see, that's the problem. The reason these men are fallen is not because the fact that they have this temptation that comes. It's because they have a different agenda than what Jesus has. They don't have an agenda to see people saved. They have an agenda to put notches in their belt to say, look how awesome I am. And that's a scary thing. That's a scary thing to know that that's the people that's leading us. Look here, continuing in John chapter 1, look in verse 8. He, John, was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. I don't need to point Jesus, I mean, I don't need to point people to a method. I need to point them to Jesus. I don't need to point people to a church. I need to point them to Christ. I don't need to point people to a purpose-driven whatever. I don't need to point them to this new method. If I'm not mistaken... The book of Acts has a pretty good method of how the church is supposed to be able to function and how the church is supposed to be able to grow. I don't think I need to read the newest, latest book on what needs to take place in order for the church to grow. I need to read the book of Acts. I need to read uh, here about a man named John and what he did when it come to uh, preaching the gospel. And what's scary, what's scary is that right now we don't really, we have muddied up the water so much that we really don't even know what's going on anymore, what's right, what's wrong, where Jesus truly fits in. And what we've done is we've turned Jesus into what we feel is is going to be best for our culture right now, rather than, than telling our culture, you need to change in order to come to Jesus. And we wonder again, why? People don't want anything to do with Jesus. Why they don't want anything to do with church? Why is our baptisms at an all-time low right now in the Southern Baptist Convention? Why is it that we laud these numbers of how many people that we have? But when you look at normal church attendance, nobody comes anymore. They have their name on a book. And that's it. And all we're doing is we're, we're, 
we're lauding these men who have these huge, large mega churches. And every time that you get on Twitter, every time that you turn on the news, there's another pastor who failed morally, that had an affair on their wife, committed adultery on their wife, that is sexually assaulting someone, that has been fired from their church because they found out all of this different scandalous stuff going on. And guess who's staying faithful regularly? That man who's probably doing the role of janitor, mowing the yard at the church, but also still faithfully putting in the time to study God's Word on a weekly basis to make sure that he delivers a message from God to his people. Not from another pastor, not downloading another sermon because, uh, you know, Adrian Rogers preached a sermon and I'm going to download it because it must have been good. No, you give your people fresh stuff. That's where it, it that's where we need to be. And that's what's getting scary about where we're at right now. And so what I'm hoping is that maybe this will cause some people to get into the word and we're going to look a little bit more over the next couple weeks in our podcast concerning John the Baptist because I think that we can learn a lot from him. We're going to be going into the book of Luke, continuing in the book of John and even over in the book of Matthew. And we're going to look at what Scripture says about John, what he did. Because I think that we can use that to be able to maybe start understanding. And maybe for you, if you're looking for a church, you can sit down and say, well, after I listen to this podcast, I don't want nothing to do with it. I understand. I understand exactly where you're at. And I'm going to tell you right now, if I were not a pastor and I were a, a just a normal, uh, everyday person, that says, you know what, I want to take my family to church, I would be terrified right now trying to figure out where I can send my family based on a lot of the stuff that's going on. I'll just be that honest with you. Because right now, I'm telling you, it is it is so disheartening to see what some of these men are doing and how they're making a mockery out of Jesus. And what I would encourage you to do is to spend time in the Word looking at somebody like John the Baptist and saying, does the man that's standing behind the pulpit, does he preach gospel? Is he preaching about Jesus? Or is he spending more time trying to make sure that he can put the joke in at the right spot and get everybody to laugh? And is he, is he watering down the gospel because he wants people to be able to come to church rather than making sure people are truly saved and discipled? I encourage you to investigate. When someone does do any kind of what what you would call preaching of the gospel, go back, reread what's going on. Make sure that what he says aligns with the scripture. If you've got somebody who is just throwing out a Bible verse and then preaching a big bunch of stuff off of that and they're not using a lot of scripture to back up what they're saying, run. Run away because that person is giving you mostly what they uh, believe, their opinion. They're not backing up what they're saying with the Word of God. If you have somebody who is not telling you this is what the Bible says and showing you Bible verses to back up what they're talking about, run because that's not the person that you need to be listening to. So next week, we'll jump into a little bit more concerning John the Baptist. We'll continue to look and see and deepen in our walk and understanding what it means to be a man of God that is declaring Jesus a little bit deeper as we go to the book of Luke and we go to the book of John and the book of Matthew. I pray that you spend some time, investigate your pastor, investigate me. If you sit down and say, hey, you know what? 
you're making an awful lot of stuff, investigate. Listen to the stuff that I'm trying to do. I'm not saying I'm a good teacher or preacher of the gospel. I'm not here for notoriety. I don't, I don't care about that kind of stuff. What I care about is making sure people know Jesus. And right now, I think we have a very difficult time with a lot of people understanding who Jesus is because we've muddied the waters with trying to make sure that we build our own kingdoms. So test me out. Go back and listen to the other podcasts and see if we're not uh, using Scripture and backing things up. That doesn't bother me a bit. But what I want to make sure is that you know who the biblical Jesus really is. And so I encourage you to investigate. Stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. Make sure you find a good Bible-believing church. We look forward to jumping back in to this study concerning John the Baptist and what we need to be having in our culture today when it comes to a preacher. And hope that you have a blessed week. Go out and share the gospel with somebody this week. And make sure that you invite somebody to come to a worship service with you.